We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today on the Three Ma Pod, we celebrate Avery Johnson's commitment and compare him to an NFL QB. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in possible. Hello and welcome into another 3 Mod Pod. I am John Kurtz, joined by Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury, and Derek Young of K-State Online. We have another emergency celebratory pod for you today, and that is because July 5th, we've been counting down the days for a long time now. It has been a long couple of weeks with everybody waiting to hear this for sure, but K-State now has secured the services of one Avery Johnson at quarterback, and this feels very much like a seminal moment for this football program and this football staff. Ever since Chris Kleiman was hired, we have been waiting for better in-state results, better recruiting results in general. They've started to come. Bigger and bigger dominoes have fallen. They got Dylan Edwards, but this was the biggest and the one that you anticipate would knock down some other dominoes in the future. Uh, so really, I, I think first and foremost, guys, you just exhale like sigh of relief. We've been waiting for this to, to become official for a long time. Now, I realize it's not totally done until he actually puts pen to paper, but at least for right now, you, you have the commitment, you get your moment, and uh, you get to rub that in everybody else's faces that you lock down the commitment of uh, – of the best quarterback in the state, the best recruit in the state, and one of the best recruits it seems like to come out of the state of Kansas in a while. Yeah, it's it's felt like a marathon, right? It feels like we've been waiting on this one for for years. In ways, they probably have. I know he's held his Kansas State offer for over a year. Uh, there was talk that he was going to be an early commit. Now, this is still somewhat early, I guess. It's only the summer before his senior year. But there was talks during this junior year where he could commit or at least, you know, around the spring before the spring, he kept getting extended. And, you know, that was a reason and a cause for a lot of anxiety amongst Kansas State fans, because it just seems like, you know, the date kept getting pushed back and back and back. And even recently. Right. He was he was his plan was to make his decision before the Elite 11. But it, but it comes afterwards. But Kansas State still gets their guy, um, the number one player in the state. That's kind of been the. um a pretty elusive thing for them to land. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I probably should have done the research. I'm sure maybe Cole did the last time Kansas State did land the best player in the state, if they ever have, um, maybe back in, in Bill Snyder 1.0. But this is clearly a landmark recruitment for them that should help them knock over some other dominoes, as you alluded to, Kurtz. And, and even beyond that, like 
when you have Avery Johnson on campus, when he's even a player, I mean, that's going to be quite the weapon in itself because you have a quarterback that, you know, everyone in America already knows and, and believes in. And you got a guy that's, you know, very much charismatic within the state. Every kid knows him. Every kid looks up to him. So he's going to be someone that everyone inside of Kansas wants to play with and, and down the line, you know, receivers nationwide. Can't be understated how significant this addition is uh, to the recruiting class and the, the domino effect that it could have um, on other players, other skill position guys on the offensive side of the football wanting to play with Avery Johnson. DY talked about recruiting profile. I mean, look, you look at this kid, 24-7 composite, 214th ranked player in the entire country, 12th ranked quarterback, Owen on three, excuse me. They had him 231 nationally in their composite rankings, which takes in all of the different recruiting sites. Um, and so it, clearly a top 250 player. I think he'll get bumped up after his Elite 11 performance. Rivals will probably move him back into the top 250 at some point, I would suspect. And when you look at the history of recruiting, DY touched on the state of Kansas. Hasn't happened a lot that K-State's got the top-ranked player, especially in a loaded recruiting class where the top-ranked player has so many offers, accrued so many offers from some of the power programs that Avery Johnson had. But if you look at the history of Kansas State recruiting overall and you look at the 24-7 composite rankings, I went back through back to the 2002 recruiting class up until now looking at 24-7's composite and looking at K-State's commits through those 20 years, Avery Johnson would be the fourth highest-ranked recruit in Kansas State's recruiting classes over that 20-plus year period. The other three, Josh Freeman, 84th-ranked player in the composite, Lamarck Brown, uh, yes. Ron Prince there at 2007. Me and D.Y. were just talking about Lamarck Brown uh, the other night. Yeah, number 149 player in the country. And then Jake Rubley, obviously, in the 2021 class. Jake Rubley came in in the 24-7 composite at 201 nationally. Now, the unique thing about Rubley, and this isn't meant to run down Rubley at all, but – his recruiting profile by different sites really varied at a high rate. I mean, you looked at ESPN, which is one of those sites that they take into account in the composite rankings. ESPN had uh, Jake Rubley as the 27th best player in the entire country. And that led to his composite ranking being bumped significantly up. So I would say you're probably looking at the second or third best commit really, I'd say second behind Josh Freeman that Kansas state's landed in 20 plus years out of the prep ranks. What's well, one worth celebrating? There's no doubt about that. So raise a glass of your 360 vodka or your Ben Holiday bottle and bond bourbon uh, from Holiday Distillery, who, uh, as always, do a great job sponsoring the show here and supporting us. I know that uh, all of us will be doing so to, to celebrate Avery Johnson, but I, I think this is an appropriate time to bring up this talking point with all of it. And that is uh, like, hey, Jake Rubley was a really highly rated quarterback. We were very excited about that. I just looked up Skylar Thompson's rivals profile. And uh, Skyler Thompson was the number 241 player in the country. So also top 250, four-star quarterback. And uh, Skyler Thompson had a nice career. He was an NFL draft pick. He may be the backup to Tua this year. And, you know, you guys know me. I, I love the guy and always felt like he was he was underrated, sometimes criminally, by, by the fan base. But I think the general expectation here is that Avery Johnson is another level above certainly what we've seen out of Rubley so far and, and even Skyler Thompson and what his career was. So – this is where I'll, I'll enlist the help of you, Derek, because I know you're really high on Avery. I know you've seen him play a lot. I've, you've seen him play up close and personal in a tremendous game with Derby, for instance. Uh, what What is the difference there between Avery Johnson and then Jake Rubley and Skylar Thompson, quarterbacks like that that K-State has gotten in the past? If, if fans were looking at this and saying, like, should I be more excited about this than I was those guys when we landed them? 
Yeah, I'll preface it by saying uh, Jake Ripley, four-star, um, Skylar Thompson, four-star, now Avery Johnson, four-star. What do they all have in common? They were all recruited by Colin Klein, so he might have some recruiting chops that are probably underrated in itself. He, the, Kansas State has not signed many four-star quarterbacks in their entire existence. Um, Colin Klein's done three what, in the last six years, six, seven years. It's pretty impressive. And that doesn't even mention Adrian Martinez, who was a very yeah. high-profile quarterback transfer as well so Colin Klein deserves a lot of kudos um his relationship with Avery Johnson is really probably one of the two or three more biggest catalysts and in, in us having today to celebrate so uh hats off to Colin Klein for that in terms of Avery Johnson I would have him as a quarterback prospect and this is my personal rankings obviously not necessarily anything from any particular network but I think there's a pretty significant gap in favor of Johnson between he and Rubley and Skyler. I don't know that they can really be compared. Avery Johnson's athleticism um, compared to those three or those other two is just uh, night and day different. He's a very quick twitch athlete. Uh, I'm not saying he's Deuce Vaughn in, in the open field. Very few are, but you know, it's along those lines. He's that much of an athlete in the open field, that elusive, that quick. Um, he is a true dual threat quarterback, but that um, trade of his often has his arm overlooked because he can really sling the ball too. He can really spin it. Uh, his arm strength is, you know, upper tier. I, I wouldn't say it was along the lines of a few of those guys that were at the elite 11, such as like Dante Moore. He can really, you know, his arm, he's got a cannon. I don't know that I would, characterize Avery Johnson as a cannon, but really, really strong arm and, and someone that is probably the most accurate in his entire class. And a lot of the networks have also started to jump on this. One of the most accurate, maybe the most accurate quarterback in this entire class when he's on the run, moving to his left or his right. Um, that's where he really separates himself probably be between the others, uh, other quarterbacks in the country and him both his mobility and ability to turn nothing into something in the open field with his legs, but also using his legs to throw because he is so good on the run. Um, and you spoke about that game against Derby. Um, I've said this before many times. It's one of the best performances I've seen from a high school player in the time that I've been doing this, which is over a decade now. Um, I think about that performance, which he single-handedly almost beat the best team in the entire state at the 6A level. Um, by himself, he was running for his life all night and just was, you know, play after play and doing it with his arm and legs. Um, and then to put it in perspective, the the ones, the other ones that come to mind is when I went and saw Deuce Vaughn play, actually, um, in Texas. We were going to watch Texas play in our covered game, Texas uh, in Austin. So the night before, because he's from the Austin area, we went and covered Deuce Vaughn's game. And I kid you not, he probably touched the ball eight, nine times and scored seven touchdowns like it didn't take much like every time he touched the ball it was a touchdown that's literally i think he had seven touchdowns and over 400 total yards in that game it was incredible and then the other one that cuts to mind for me because obviously i covered um ohio state and high school football in ohio quite a bit was braxton miller against uh, the best team at the highest classification in ohio the year that he was a junior i believe um just almost single handedly won the game and he played for a team that was not really talented around him so that that that's kind of the air that i put avery johnson in which is pretty remarkable um and i i'll say this now too and he's in the 200s i think you guys were saying i still think he's criminally underrated i think he's that good 
Yeah, maybe the many scouting services say he's the most athletic quarterback in the 2023 recruiting class. And to your point, D.Y., I think maybe the athletic traits and the ability to run and the four or five speed gets his arm overlooked because when you watch his highlights, I mean, he throws some dimes downfield. Um, and the ability to improvise when you watch his highlights is really impressive. I mean, there's plays where there's nothing there. He makes a ton of guys miss, throws on the run, delivers a pass or takes it to the house with his feet. I mean, there's highlights where he took a snap in the, his own end zone, took it 100 yards to the house for a touchdown. He had a ball snapped over his head 30 yards behind him. He ended up making several guys miss and getting a first down on the play. Just the the improv ability, the ability to throw on the run and throw accurately was really impressive when you look at him. In fact, to, to also what D.Y. said, I mean, one of the things that maybe surprised some people at the Elite 11, 24-7 sports said they were a little taken back in their report that you know, how good his arm looked in terms of passing and accuracy and some of the passing drills and the elite 11 rankings even evaluate that. I mean, if you look at the actual elite 11 Twitter account that had the coaching staff evaluations from elite 11, not just various reporters were there, you know, Avery Johnson ranked third, fifth, seventh, and several of the drills out of 20 quarterbacks. So uh, he had a very impressive performance out there that just farther validated how good he is. And to what you said, DY about being underrated, I would suspect that's going to probably lead to a bump in some of the ratings for some of these recruiting services after that performance out there. And now that he's officially in that elite 11. And and I'll just add to this, that imp- improvisational ability that you allude to. Like, and I don't, you, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the, the most probably elite quarterback when it comes to, imp- imp- you know, improvising. And when Avery Johnson does some of the, his things that he did against Derby, it was along those lines. So that, I mean, that's, not saying he's Patrick Mahomes. Um, I don't know that. I think you yeah. just said he was Patrick Mahomes. I think K-State yeah. is Patrick Mahomes. I don't, I don't know that there's going to be another Patrick Mahomes in that light, but he'll. But he's close to it, um, at least in that particular trait, the improv ability. And, and just from talking to people that know Avery Johnson very, very well, um, and it can provide almost any and, – and I've gotten to know Avery a little bit too and just – able to provide an evaluation of the mental side of things or, or just not everything that you can see on the field and in the film. Um, they talk about him being, you know, a, a charismatic leader, which I think that's pretty clear. Everyone wants to follow him already. So I think the the proof is in the pudding on that point. But second, um, like one of the most ultra competitors that they've ever gotten to know a lot of people. So this is a guy that's really, really driven. I mean, he, he travels to Kansas City back and forth on in several weeks to work with you know Justin Hoover who works with the Elite Eleven as a quarterback coach in, in Kansas City. So he's really driven, a lot of ambition, and he wants to be the best. He, when it comes to competing, nobody wants to win more than him. So not only do you love what you see on the field, you love what you hear about him off the field. I was scared to mention Mahomes' name, D.Y., but when I watched his highlights, I saw I saw some Patrick Mahomes flashes there. I mean, there's plays where he's running to his right. He throws back across the field, back across his body, uh, kind of a risky, dangerous throw, delivers it on the money, making guys miss, you know, yeah. throwing back across. I mean, he's he does have some glimpses to his game that really showcase that. So I'm glad you, you were thinking kind of along the same lines. And Also, to your point about his charisma and leadership abilities, that's going to help K-State on the recruiting trail to what you talked about earlier because guys want to play with like that, a guy like that, and he's going to be impactful when it comes to Kansas State trying to assemble more guys in this class that want to come play with him. Yeah, he's kind of the guy that makes you pull your hair out and say, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, and like, okay, that worked. He's one of those players. 
which would make sense that he would have some Patrick Mahomes in his game because like quarterbacks with athleticism are going to start having Patrick Mahomes in their game. I'm sure we'll see more and more of that, you know, with the way that he's taken over the NFL, you know, and the elite 11, I think is a, when I raised this original question, like what separates him from Skylar Thompson and what separates him from Jake Rubley, elite 11 is a part of that. I mean, making the cut at elite 11 certainly is, is another tier up. And again, hopefully that will be reflected in the rankings as you guys have have already mentioned. I mean, to me, it puts him, he's much more in the, the caliber of Josh Freeman than he is those other two guys that we've mentioned. And I know that Freeman's a polarizing figure because of like what happened during his time at K-State, but you know, he was an incredible talent, obviously being taken on the first round of the NFL draft and was, you know, at least had a, a foray with one decent season as a starter in the NFL. The, the dude was an incredible talent. So Avery, much different kind of player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say he has the arm necessarily of Josh Freeman, but in that caliber of talent, I think here in what K-State's landing. And, and the next question, you know, I don't know if this is really a question, maybe a frustration. We had to wait it out for a while here. It sounded like obviously getting through Elite 11 was a priority for Avery Johnson and his family before they announced this actual commitment. So much has happened, including conference realignment, which we'll talk a little bit about uh, coming up later on, which is really, I would think, hurting Washington and Oregon or at least throwing a wrench into their plans right now. But Washington also took a commitment from a quarterback in that time span. Oregon supposedly is now the leader for Dante Moore. So it started to become very obvious here where Avery Johnson was going. And that's all great. It kind of put the fans probably at ease a little bit. But wouldn't you have rather had this happen when it looked like everything was still on the table, fresh off the visits, he could have committed anywhere. Like it would have looked better for both Avery and K-State, but you know, I digress. Yeah. I mean, for, if you're Kansas State, you probably don't care how you get them as long as you get them. Um, um, and obviously that, and that leaks into December, that, that that'll be the most important time. Make sure. And and, I, and that's not me alluding to anything with Avery Johnson. Most people said that when he makes his decision, uh, he's not, listening to anything else i think even insiders from oregon have suggested that which is why they were you know discussing avery and and how they had to approach it because once he makes this decision he's not turning back and and knowing every johnson i wouldn't really expect him to do that but yeah if you're kansas state you probably don't care how it happens as long as it does happen especially when you're kind of probably getting a little anxious and having some paranoia about some others in the class and you know not that they're having any problems they still have dylan edwards andre davis avery johnson donovan mcintosh they feel very good about what they've assembled but you know there's been some hiccups here and there too not not everything's been sunshine and rainbow so as long as you get them secured they're probably not going to care but if you are avery johnson and then maybe you wanted to feel like you were operating on your own terms i still think that he was but you can kind of if people wanted to be skeptical there there's a facade out there that they can build that you could say that he was just running out of options. I don't think that's the case. I don't. It certainly wasn't the case from what I know. But obviously, fans from other places, maybe you know, insiders from other places, are going to try to draw that conclusion and maybe, you know, diminish what Kansas State has done in landing Avery Johnson. Well, I'm not going to diminish the accomplishment of it because it took, it took so long pursuing him. Like like you said at the beginning of the pod, it was a marathon, and I think it's clear that Colin Klein had a huge impact on this. I think this is another one of those things, and and I remember saying it at the time, even as frustrating as it was, just absolutely maddening, like losing that Texas game the way that it happened at the end of the year. But that seemed to be the real catalyst for like, hey, we've got to make a change with what we're doing offensively, yep. make the change at offensive coordinator, make the change at wide receivers coach um, with Thad Ward, which has clearly paid huge dividends. And, you know, maybe not the Ward part so much here with Avery, but Colin being the offensive coordinator 
seemed to have a huge impact on how the recruitment was going with Avery Johnson. It did. So the, so the Colin Klein impact is twofold. He recruited him perfectly. He knew what buttons to push and when. Um, he Avery's, you know, really works a tight schedule. He's a three-sport athlete, and he's very, very good in all three sports. And he has a tight schedule, and he does a lot of training for each of those three sports. And he's on a coach on the phone a lot with you know different coaches, just trying to. He's very thorough in his process, so he didn't have a lot of time and space. And I think Colin Klein probably respected that part of his life the most, and I think that benefited Kansas State because Colin Klein operated in that way, was that respectful of his time, and like I said, knew what buttons to push and win. So that was perfect. And then the second part, and I'll be blunt here. If they don't hire Colin Klein to be the offensive coordinator, and if they're not changing the offensive system, which we know that they are, to a system that is much more friendlier to the quarterback, they don't have a chance. They're probably not in this top three, maybe not even the top five. So that move accelerated Kansas State's chances, increased them quite a bit, and then Colin Klein did the rest. But that move and change in philosophy on offense uh, played a large role in at least entering the discussion instead of just being on the periphery. Sometimes you got to take your medicine, so to speak, you know, for good things to happen. And I think that's what that that Texas game was, as much as it really stings at the time. And you'd rather not have to go through like those kind of lessons to to make them happen. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's like, what what do we really care about? You know, whether last year would have been an eight and four, maybe nine and four season as opposed to now eight and five. And it looks like this year's team is going to be great. And next year you're going to have Avery Johnson at quarterback. And I guess that would bring me to Another question I feel like a lot of people would have here is, look, obviously writing on the wall at quarterback, Adrian Martinez is going to be here for one year. Then, you know, I mean, you still have Will Howard, but I don't know that anybody is feeling very confident about that. Like, what are the odds that Avery Johnson is ready to go right away year one? And and how how badly will K-State need that to be the case? You know, from a skill perspective and – what he can do to an offense, I think he's per, he can be ready in year one. Um, I really feel that way. From a durability and maybe size perspective, he probably needs a little bit more meat and bulk on him before you're completely comfortable with that sentiment. Um, not saying it can't happen. It can, it can still happen, and I think he's playing to some extent in year one. I really do. And ultimately, some of the buzz and the hype, around this type of landmark recruitment kind of puts the pressure on you to do so in ways. Um, I think that can play into it. I certainly do. I think that if I had to guess today, I think that, that you know, Will Howard probably gets the call first, but then I think ultimately we're going to see both quarterbacks next year. Yeah. I'd, I'd echo what DUI said. I think we'd see both quarterbacks. I think Will Howard, unless Kansas state went out and got another one year transfer type to hold the fort, I would suspect Will Howard will be the starting quarterback to start the season next year. And then as the season goes along, they may sprinkle in um, Avery Johnson at some point. And he could also be that change of pace quarterback that they bring in in a game, you know, with his athletic traits and capabilities. Again, we he can clearly throw the ball well. He's a complete quarterback, but somebody that they run out on a sweep or something, a QB sweep. They're not going to be running him wildcat right up the middle, right? But he is a guy that you know, with his athletic speed and everything, the traits that he brings to the table, a guy that they could get on the field at some point as a change of pace in a game. Uh, with the red shirt rule and everything, you know, you could play him four games still, sprinkle him in. But if Avery Johnson's as good as you hope, he's only going to be here four years anyway. So red shirting isn't something that you really have to do. Especially with, not, I'm not even 
putting I don't want to put this into the universe the transfer rule and everything I, yeah. I just don't know that that four game red shirt rule anymore really matters a whole lot it probably penalizes you if anything too um so at least that's how I see it I'll, I'll say you know you always want to win I'm not saying you you don't play to win you play to win but if this season is what we think if they reach close to the ceiling or do reach the ceiling this year, then you do have a little bit of pressure off of you next year to, you know, produce a certain result, right? Let's say they go 10 and two this year, nine, even nine and three, nine and three, 10 and two, the pressure comes off of you a little bit and allows you the freedom to, you know, wiggle around a little bit with Will Howard and both Avery Johnson next year, to, just to see what you have and, and to, to find whatever is, you know, right for that team and right for the future going forward. So if they can accomplish what we think they're capable of accomplishing this year, um, they'll have a lot more freedom to to wiggle uh, and kind of finagle how they want to play next year. And there there might be some pressure going into that 23 season too, just in general, because it'll be the new schools coming in, theoretically Texas and Oklahoma's last year, potentially in the league. Like you're, you're going to want to have a nice year, but yeah, you can only – you can only do what Avery Johnson would be ready for. I think what this really ensures is like now and, and sure, like Will Howard could transfer, some things could change. Maybe you would you would still try to pursue a grad transfer quarterback in some way, but I, I guess as it stands right now, it makes it seem like extremely unlikely that you're gonna have to pursue a, a grad transfer quarterback or transfer. I don't know why I'm saying grad transfer, like it has to be that, but just a transfer quarterback, you know, for a second straight year. I don't think you're gonna have to do that. Because I can remember us having that conversation, like, you know, I mean. What are they going to do here for a couple of years? It felt like at one point in time when it didn't look like things were going well for Avery, that that, that may be the case, that they would have to be hitting the portal once again. for. And, that, and now that you have Avery, I don't think you want to tempt fate at all either. So, no, no. so, so I don't, I, I think you almost have to eliminate transfer as a possibility. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I would not want to screw with this at all. So now who's coming with him? Okay. Arch Manning commits to Texas slew of commits start flowing in. Um, you see that effect happen a lot, especially with a big quarterback, when a big quarterback recruit lands somewhere. Um, it can really be a prelude of things to come. Where are these guys that could be connected with Avery Johnson? Are we talking about like Lane and Manning? And, and what are the odds that they actually wind up here? Yeah, Lane and Manning, uh, Jacoby Lane from Arizona, receiver, and Joshua Manning, receiver from Lee Summit. Those are two that are, you know, have those connections to Avery that are certainly going to be discussed and, and I'm part of the equation. Um, but, you know, there's questions there, right? I mean, Jacoby Lane, uh, it sounds like, you know, he has other schools poking around on him that could maybe, you know, tip the scales on his recruitment or, you know, at least open it back up, even though he was very much email there for a few weeks, um, according to his social media platforms. Joshua Ming, um, you know, there was a lot of – momentum there for Kansas state to land him just a few days ago. And now, you know, I don't know if it's cold feet a little bit, but he wants to take a little bit more time to contemplate his decision and consider, you know, some of his other options, maybe like Missouri and Arkansas. Um, so I don't want to say they took a step back with those two, but um, the forward momentum halted a little bit on both, in my opinion, um, just from the information that we have gathered but can the actual announcement of Avery Johnson like shift those things back in your favor? That's something we're going to find out in these next few hours, next few days, next few weeks. 
um, if if just the simple announcement from Avery that it's actually done, you know, and not just like probably done, can uh, change the tides in those two. But aside from that, some of these have already unfolded because I think they were pretty much assured or felt very confident that Avery was coming to Manhattan, right? Dylan Edwards already committed. Andre Davis already committed. So some of it's already taken place and maybe takes away from a little bit of that rush. I know you talk about, you know, the rush that Texas has got since Arch Manning. I think Miami's experiencing the same thing since uh, landing Jaden Rashada. There's two offensive linemen out there that appear to be close to decisions too. Um, and I think they have had their eyes on, you know, what's happening with Kansas State and Avery Johnson. Good players want to play with good players. That's Hank Zelenskis from Colorado. They're going up against Colorado. Maybe you can use realignment in your favor on that front. Um, and then with Jackson Fulmer, the offensive lineman from Idaho, he's visited a few times. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't already committed. So those uh, come to mind as well. And I, I imagine that we'll probably hear about new names that haven't necessarily been associated with K-State yet that might hop into the picture just because Avery is now into the picture and, and those probably rushed to the surface in the next few weeks. The last week of July is something to watch. It's the only open period between now and the start of the season. Um, and the, the dead period started well, after the last weekend in June. We're still in the dead period now. It opens up for one week at the end of July. I, I would watch that week because you can bring guys in on unofficial visits and maybe you, you try to close a few that you haven't otherwise done so already. And might if Joshua Manning still is uncommitted at that point because he's really still torn between Kansas State and Missouri, for example, maybe both of those schools try to bring him on an unofficial during that time. But that, that's a recruitment that is one to watch, probably the recruitment to watch in the next few weeks to see how it shakes out. Um, it was really generating a lot of Kansas State buzz there for a moment, and we'll see if they can you know, probably ratchet some of that back up now that Avery is officially in the fold. And you're saying that it cooled on Lane a little bit just because of interest from other schools? I don't know if I would say cooled a little bit, but I think he's just like broadened his horizons a little bit. Um, I, I, he's not tweeting about Kansas State every day, you know, like he was there for a moment. I think there is some schools that are believed to be talking to him that are very, very close to entering the picture. I don't think that's Georgia or Tennessee to v- visits the boat and that didn't result in offers. Uh, there was an interesting prediction on Oregon from uh, on him and they haven't even offered. So that's probably one of those schools that's kind of lurking right now that can maybe cause, you know, I wouldn't say complications because a little bit of uh, resistance for K-State in terms of landing lane. Well, he won the, he won the MVP of the wide receivers at the elite 11. Right. And so now he's starting to blow up even more. He's a very talented kid. And I think I also read USC maybe poking around a little DY and obviously Mm -hmm. Lincoln Riley's offense. You know, that's hard to turn down. Now the realignment stuff shifts a lot of that. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, obviously, both would be gigantic gets. And if you're a K-State fan, you hope you can at least get one of them. Yeah, well, first of all, I, K-State's I been drilling Lincoln Riley on the recruiting trail lately. So good luck, Lincoln. Good luck. And uh, second of all, Oregon, come on, please. The, the the school that's about to be on their knees begging to get into the Big 12 here, Oregon. We're gonna, that's, that's, that's the competition here. You know, why, I want you to find a conference, Oregon. How about that? Uh, that's fair. And I, and I do think that we're going to hear about some other wide receivers that are probably pretty well decorated that we haven't heard about yet. Um, it, it, I kind of got like a, you know, a little whisper in my ear that there was two of those that they were expecting to maybe um, receive some interest from once Avery was in the fold. So we'll see how that happens. And, and if you're going to ask me who that is, I actually don't know. I just 
was told, you know, two two other receivers that could become intrigued by the opportunity at K-State, assuming Avery Johnson is part of that scenario. Thought that I just had. Now, now of course, in the next uh, 24 hours between now and when this pod is actually officially released, Oregon's going to get a Big Ten offer. Book it. Mark it down, and it's going to make me look like an idiot. So if it does, you guys will know exactly what happened. Uh, speaking of conference realignment, though, that's all happening again. What does it mean for K-State with USC and UCLA off to the Big Ten? We'll talk about that coming up next. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, back here on the Three Mod Pod to uh, close up shop this week. We are talking conference realignment because it is conference realignment season once again, less than a year after Texas and Oklahoma bolted for the SEC. Now the same thing has happened to the Pac-12 with USC and UCLA opting to go to the Big Ten. They will start play there in 2024. Now we have a report out uh, that as of today, when you're hearing this, the Big 12 was, according to Arizona's 24-7 sports site, um, Wildcat Authority, the Big 12 was supposed to be meeting with Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. Not the first meeting, but the most serious meeting that has been had uh, between those four schools and potentially joining the Big 12. So the Big 12 is in a much stronger position than they were a year ago, but I, I do think I'm, I'm always uneasy when there start to be a bunch of plates moving around here and plates spinning and trying to figure out where teams are going to land. I mean, right now you have the Big Ten and really the rest of the college football world waiting on Notre Dame uh, reportedly to make a decision on whether or not they want to jump to the Big Ten. Stanford has been a rumored partner there. If they were going to go, Oregon and Washington have been described as kind of tweeners that reportedly would not meet the monetary threshold the Big Ten would need to actually add money per school. So they're kind of in limbo right now. And then what happens if the Big 12 does take those schools from the Pac-12? Is it totally folded then? And then Oregon and Washington, they have to go find a temporary home if they can't get into the Big Ten. I mean, these these are the dynamics right now of realignment, I feel like, this time around, which should make you feel much better than Washington State and Oregon State fans and much better than if you were a K-State fan last year. But still, I, I do why I'm always just a, a little uneasy when we get into this process again. Yeah, because you're, you're not always at a position of strength. The, the ones that are are the Big Ten and SEC. But this still is promising for the Big 12. Yeah, the gap between them and others probably widens here. Obviously, I don't think anyone was expecting it to close. So I don't know that it's a complete loss in, on, when you take that into consideration. But in general, you are in position now to kind of separate and to distinguish yourselves from the Pac-12. And look, right now it's a survival of the fittest. You kind of know who the top two are. So you kind of have to, you know, use your whatever you got to be number three or number four, whatever it may be. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the ACC and that grant of rights. That's kind of the albatross in this whole situation. 
but there's not really any incentive for a Big 12 school to go to the Pac-12 at this point. That's a school that lost just lost 40% of its value in the television market after losing the Los Angeles market. So it's got less schools and less value because you've already added Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston um, to kind of make yourself whole. And so the Big 12 right now has more value than the Pac-12 right now without USC and UCLA. So there's really no incentive to bolt for the big, from the Big 12 to the Pac-12. And if you're the Pac-12, schools in the Pac-12, and you know that at some point there's a very likely scenario that Oregon and Washington could be considered for the Big Ten. They're not – it's not a lock that they go to the Big Ten, but they're obviously two schools that would make sense for that conference and they would jump at the idea. So if you're everyone else in that league and it's survival of the fittest, you kind of got to find your secure home. Well, and that's why the Big 12, you would think, would at this point make sense for Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State. Would it make sense for the Big 12? I get it. You're probably not increasing your television revenue at all. If you are, it's pretty negligible. But, but killer be killed, baby. Yeah, but there's value in, in being having stability, being that third league. And if, if you kill the Pac-12, you put yourself in better position. That's just the end of the day. Even if – I don't think you're sacrificing any dollars, but even if you're not grabbing extra dollars, there's still value – and, you know, whacking off the, the Pac-12 and, and, you know, giving yourself more stability. Yeah, I, I would echo everything that you said, D.Y., on that front. I had, I had a group text of friends that when this stuff came out late last week, here we go again, now the Pac-12 is going to come after the Big 12 schools. And I was trying to calm them down and let them know, look, the, the Pac-12 is not in the advantageous position here to pick off the Big 12 schools. The, the Big 12 has the power – here to be the ones that could pick the Pac-12 schools off. And so I, I think case the, the Big 12 could go after, you know, four teams potentially, even more from the Pac-12, get to a 16-team league. And look, if this thing heads to a Big 10 SEC only type format, so be it. There, there's not a lot that the Big 12 could do. But where I think it could head in the near term is kind of four mega leagues, right? And you have the ACC, the Big 10 SEC, and then the Big 12 at 16 teams. Uh, and, you know, the tier one is going to be the SEC and the Big Ten, clearly. But if Kansas State and the Big 12, you know, and the ACC could kind of be those tier two leagues of the mega conferences, that that's OK with me. You know, it gives you a seat at the table still, um, you know, from a geog- and those Pac-12 schools, a lot of them have been unhappy with the Pac-12 anyways. Uh, it's been rumored the Arizona schools have been thinking about getting out for a few years now. Uh, there was obviously a lot of frustration with Larry Scott, the former commissioner. So uh, there's been, and the TV contracts, et cetera. So there's been some unhappy schools, players at the table there that I I think would be eager to get out. And so if this report is true that the Arizona schools, they're all meeting with the big 12, that would be great. And ultimately the best thing that could happen is the big 12 just moves fast here. You know, let's get answers in place. They move pretty quick. I was impressed with how quick they moved with BYU and the Cincinnati Houston editions, they got that locked down quickly. I'd like to see them move quick and have this thing locked down in the next couple months. And, you know, with the TV contract for the PAC 12 schools, there's no grant of rights penalty or anything, you know, in three years, it's, it's really the perfect time to pluck some of these schools away. I got a question. If uh, let's assume um, Oregon, Washington are out there. Would you rather them join the Big Ten and destabilize the Pac-12 even more where those other four schools just pop into your lap? Or would you like a scenario where you're you're taking away Washington and Oregon as well for the Big 12? 
Well, I would love it, and it, it would be temporary. I mean, I think obviously, uh, eventually, because where we're clearly headed is at some point we're going to get like really what you're seeing a lot of talk now about is like kind of an NFL model, like an AFC NFC sort of thing. And you're going to have like the 30 best teams be in the SEC and the big 10. And when that happens, I mean, I think it's pretty clear Oregon and Washington make that cut and uh, it, it would leave you kind of in the same position that you're in right now or that we think of, but if you can just steal some years of being more relevant and take the juice of that and, you know, hopefully that elevates your recruiting then for a couple of years because it seems like you have a bigger, better, more relevant sort of conference. Um, I would just take that and run with it and take all all of all that you can from it. And um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the math in my head. Like, would they stick around long enough for the next TV contract? Because if they did, I mean that that can be even if it's a short TV deal, much better for you financially. So I don't really see much downside to that, even if they have to use you as kind of a, a temporary home. So I would yeah, just- I don't I don't think there is either. And I and I think. Yeah, I think it would have to be for the next television contract. There's only two years left on it. Yeah, right. Like 2025. Yeah. It's just, it's like everything's moving so fast yeah. now, but, but, but the Big Ten is going to like make years. a decision and then sign their next deal. So that'll put some of it to the side for a little while, I think. So. Yeah. So, so if they, if Big Ten signs their new deal and Oregon and Washington aren't a part of that world, then I think you take them because then you could probably, because the Big 12 deal is up in like a year and a half, I think, or two years, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And then you you have Oregon and Washington part of that. You're probably going to steal four or five years from them. And in Oregon and Washington are two schools that can increase your payout per member. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they don't, they don't meet the the numbers that were reported um, from the Oregon side of things. Were that Oregon and Washington add like sixty million dollars per year of value, know. and the Big Ten needs a hundred and forty three to actually have it like add value yeah. to every single school. So they would, and there's talk of like, could Phil Knight subsidize some of that and make it happen for Oregon? I think those are the conversations Oregon's desperately having right now. The other thing that tells you is like, Hey, if Oregon and Washington combined aren't meeting that threshold, there's no way that Kansas who's had its eye on the big 10 for a long time is meeting that threshold either. But yeah. No, I, and I, that's I, a big threshold. I mean, the, let's be honest. The only school that's meeting that is probably Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah. I don't think like Clem, even if, even if say Clemson, Hypothetically, right? I don't know that Clemson's meeting that. Number. No, but I, yeah, they're probably set to go elsewhere anyway. But yeah, but I think you, there might be more value in Clemson than we're imagining, but it's not a really big audience. I mean, that's still a smaller campus in South Carolina that shares the state, too. So you guys think in, you pick off the Arizona schools, Colorado, Utah, Oregon, Washington, if they want in and leave out Stanford and Cal due to the complications of the academics and and whatnot, or well, do you just try to do a full-on merger? It sounds like Stanford. Stanford, Notre Dame, and the Big Ten. Stanford's probably Notre Dame's buddy at this point. Yeah, um, that's what it feels like. But I don't look. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot of the stuff behind the scenes or how it will go. But there's a large part of me that just cannot imagine Stanford or Cal, even if it's the last lifeboat imaginable entering the Big Twelve. I think they would just rather go independent at that point. Yeah. Or pack up football. I, you know, I've seen that discussed too, you know, that those schools would just decide to give up football because they don't like where it's headed to a world where, you know, the players would be straight up employees either. So I, you know, but, I, but there's, there's value guys. I mean, you look at the, the top television markets, media markets in the country, you get Arizona state that's Phoenix. Now, again, we know it's not just a college town. It's a big city, but Phoenix is 11th ranked media market in the country. You get Colorado, you get the Denver market. There's a 16th ranked media market in the country. If you got Oregon or if you got uh, Washington, again, Seattle, major city, pro city as well, but they're the 12th 
TV market in the country. And then Salt Lake City, if you go with Utah, they're 30th in the, the TV rankings. And then I'm trying to find uh, Portland here for Oregon. Um, Portland is 21st in media markets. So, I mean, you're adding all top 30 media markets uh, nationally. There's probably a little bit of value to where you might see a slight increase in, in television revenue. But to what DY said, to me, it's just really just stabilizing the league and ensuring more of a long-term longevity with this for, for at least the next five, 10 years, hopefully. Yeah. Which is really at this, at this point, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think big picture, what USC and UCLA meant is like, we, we probably skipped a few years to, to whatever the end of this is going, going to be uh, the end of the road. So you're, you're kind of on borrowed time here in playing in a, in an environment where you are still basically at the main seat, you know, at the main table, have a seat at the main table. And I think that's, if you're a school that's not one of the top, top tier schools, that's kind of, you just have to, I hate saying it like this, but it's just like stolen time right now. I mean, you just need to enjoy this as much as you can enjoy these years as much as you can before things really shake out. And I don't mean to be too doomsday with that, but it just feels like that's the, the, the ACC grant of rights is a lot of schools best friend right now. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, although, yeah. I don't know, man. It's the talk seems to be now that people are pretty convinced they'll find a way. Either everybody in the ACC has a home and they get together and vote to dissolve the conference, or somebody does come in and write massive checks to get Clemson, Florida State, and Miami out of there. Well, there seems checks, to be more and more chat, chatter about that. Those checks would be unimaginable uh, in terms of just finding everyone a home to dissolve it, so that the greater rights is not worth value. That that is a possibility. I don't think that the Big Ten and the SEC would want as many schools as that would take. So they would have to have the big 12 play ball almost and, and take some of the schools. But to do that, you're going to have to offer big 12 an incentive to do that too. And maybe the big 12 becomes a lot more whole financially just because they agreed to do that too, just so we can get to that next. And then you will do have a three, but then they are forced to kind of carry three leagues into whatever next world it is. I've got an idea guys. Let's have Missouri and Nebraska both get kicked out of their leagues because I mean, what are they bringing to the table at that point? And let's add them back into the Big 12 and Colorado, and let's have what a conference is actually meant to be, a geographic fit with historic rivalries. That'd be great. That, that's what I would like. I mean, if if, Nebraska, if I ever got to see the day where Nebraska got kicked out of the Big Ten, that, that might be the best day on Twitter. I mean, that <laughs> might be the best. Um, speaking of that, Cole, I – I apologize for offending you. I will stop tweeting things out that Dennis Dodd has, has said. Please. I, uh, yes, thank you. I would appreciate if we do not give any oxygen or cre credibility to anything Dennis Dodd says again, ever again. I, I hope he's listening right now. I hope he is. I, hope he I mean, I, yeah, that's fine. I mean, Dennis, I just know, look, I'm not the one that's, it's all Cole. That's, it's at Cole Manbeck on Cole underscore Manbeck on Twitter. If you, I'm going to tag him. I'm like, Dennis Dodd, you should listen there in around the 40 minute mark. Go right ahead. I, I don't care about the guy. So, um, <laughs> seen him, seen him before. Yeah, I mean, credit to him. I mean, obviously, he's created a following and uh, has been a longtime reporter and national reporter. But I don't give any uh, a lot of credence to what he says. Uh, you know, I love his his top ranked source he interviewed at the Big Twelve about why would we expand. You really think a rational person that that's the thought that someone in the Big Twelve has? What, did he talk to Oklahoma or Texas? Or is that who he's talking to? <laughs> Ku. Are you talking KU because they think they're still getting a seat? Probably, the yeah, probably talking to Travis Goff. 
Yeah, yeah he's probably got Travis Goff. That's or, 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 or West Virginia because they don't want to go anymore yeah. west. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Travis Goff or Shane Lyons uh, being the source on that. Those, those would be the top two. Like, uh, whatever, you know, we don't we don't belong here anyway. Uh, tough day, by the way, for the uh, – the the guy that got posted on the message board genius Twitter account, the Kansas fan that was like, you know, screw this Big 12 thing. Why don't we just go join the Pac-12 for a little while, use that until the Big 10 gets set to actually raid the Pac-12, and then we'll be on that ship. Uh, well, now that, that, that seems to have sailed. So the Kansas master plan to get out of this league that they are clearly so much better than. I personally, I was going to say, I personally rely on Mike Vernon, the Scoopsmeister, to give me my conference realignment news. So, how do we got to bring up that guy, man? <laughs> I went to his Twitter profile after all this was happening, and he's quote tweeting himself from last year like he predicted this. Uh, Dude, this is, I mean, it yeah, really took a genius to say, hey, USC <laughs> might join the Big Ten someday. Uh, Just the, the, remember, there was a world where he was on 610 in Kansas City. Like, this guy hoodwinked everyone for a bit. You might call him You might call him a modern-day Robin Hood, you know? I don't know. You might, he actually you might will find this podcast, and someone will alert him, and then we're going to have him in our DMs again. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I could tell you a story about having Mike Vernon in your DMs. <laughs> I've, been, I've been nice to the guy because of that, so uh, I digress. Okay. I think this is probably a good place to end this. Good, good, good finish. Yeah, this is probably a good place to end this. All right. Um, That's going to wrap it up for us. Once again, go enjoy the Avery Johnson commitment. Uh, Get you some Ben Holiday Bottle and Bond Bourbon or 360 Vodka from Holiday Distillery, whichever floats your boat. Um, Appreciate the work of Tucker Franklin behind the scenes as always. Thanks to Derek Young. Thanks to Cole Bambeck. I am John Kurtz. We'll see you next time on the 3-Month Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.